coming up on another episode of the Big Footy Podcast. We talk all about Justin Lepich's actions on the weekend. We talk all about how Gold Coast are travelling. We talk about the AFLPA's equalisation strategy. All that and more coming right up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Big Footy Podcast. I am the Wookiee. With me tonight, I have the usual crew of Messenger. Good evening. Good evening. And I've also got with me Mike. Good evening, folks. And Mike, of course, having a very good week, and we're going to talk a lot about uh, the Bulldogs versus Sydney game uh, later on in the piece. But first up, guys, your highlights from the weekend, and Messenger, what's your highlight? Oh, it was a tremendous victory on Saturday night. Uh, Hawthorne uh, taking apart last year's preliminary finalist. It was a very enjoyable game. And and no complaints uh, after the game about the roof being closed or open or oh, anything? No, oh, look, I thought um, Jordan Lewis and Luke Hodge were probably just misunderstood young men. They were just... <laughs> Just trying to be helpful, I think they might have seen a fly on Andrew Swallow's chin and he tried to help remove, but, you know, we don't expect to get any uh, any uh, favours from the tribunal these days. Why, why would you? Uh, Mike, your highlight from the weekend, Matt? Uh, definitely would have been the uh, result of the uh, Dog Sydney game up at the SCG, probably at this point in time, the best game of the year to date, and it was a really, really good hard slot, but we'll get into that later. Excellent. My highlight from the weekend, uh, the announcement that uh, Matthew Cruiser is apparently returning. Um, The man, the myth, the Bigfoot of Carlton has apparently been sighted and ready to uh, return. Uh, The surface has apparently been given the all clear for some reason. (laughs) And he's apparently going to return uh, possibly even this weekend. I'll believe it when I see it. If he'll run out a full game, just one full game this year, that may well be the highlight of uh, Carlton's year, I suspect. So, big highlights all round. <laughs> where, 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 will, where will young Matthew be running around? Uh, well, Kramer Street? No, no, I think the main the main side, so... Have we ever seen a more injury-prone Ruckman than him? I don't know, Sean Wren had a reputation oh. for being uh, injured a lot uh, for knee reconstructions and whatnot, so... He's not a ruckman, but Nathan Bock appears to have been made of fairy floss for the last five years of his career. <laughs> yeah, Jared Waite was a was was another one who was injured a lot or reported. Take your pick. Um, <laughs> something something hasn't inflicted on the North guys yet, but it's coming. Oh yes, no, no. He, there's always that your Jared Waite moment is in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when do they play Carlton? I'm predicting it. It's going to come then. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on, hang on. North have already started turning on Sean Higgins, so you know it would be a matter of time before they turn on Wade as well. Now, there's a few issues from the weekend, guys, that I want to get into. Uh, the Gold Coast Suns uh, having all sorts of trouble up there. There's some big disciplinary issues, and we were talking about this uh, before we started recording, Messenger. And yes. you were saying that uh, these issues were probably there before. Uh, the, 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 some sort of uh, molly coddling uh, prior to Ed taking over, and now these issues are coming up because Ed's taking something of a tougher stance. Well, well I guess from my outside view of it, I'd say that, that Guy McKenna took a group of young men and he had them, you know, had them in the TAC Cup and had them in the VFL as seventeen and eighteen year olds, and he has taken a very young group into uh, the early stages of the AFL, and I think. In that sort of environment, you get a lot more in terms of development by using carrot rather than the stick. Now, the carrot will only take you so far, and the stick arrived in Rodney Ede. And I think there's probably a little bit of, I guess my feeling would be there's a little bit of um, pushback, shall we say, to the disciplinary uh, regime of a, of a old school. And, and Mike will be able to say a bit more about Rodney Ede as a coach, but... Uh, he certainly, uh, his reputation is as, as a bit of a stickler and uh, he's obviously getting some pushback. And, you know, they're in, uh, 
they're in uh, Australia's playground there on the Gold Coast and there's there's uh, lots of things to do and perhaps not too many senior voices to tell them not to do it. Look, and I think you, you're right on the mark there, um, Messenger 2, in terms of uh, senior players and influence around that. Look, Ed's always been a hard stick. He's always been a very, very disciplined coach and demanded respect from the players and, you know, demanded that they, they do what he says. Um, and rightly so, you know, he, he's good when it comes to discipline. But you've got to then ask the question, where are where's the Suns leadership group? Where's the maturity from those senior players to step back and say, look, come on, guys, you know, we've got to focus as a team here. And I think that comes back to the question, you know, do you have the right players in the leadership group? Because it, it, it's very, very quick and common for people to think that because a player such as Abbott is getting paid a schooling bucks a season, he's automatically leadership material, and that's not the case. So I think it's it's more than just that particular effort. I think there's another issue there with do they have the right leadership team up there to, to really steer these kids um, on the path that they need to be in, especially well, with uh, someone like Eve there coaching. Well, they made Ablett captain, didn't they? Yeah, look, so, they so, made captain, but is, 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 was he the right choice for, for captain? That's the question I'm asking. Does, he's getting paid a lot of money, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's a captain per se or has the material to be the right sort of person for a captain. Well, uh, and, and I think the answer to that is probably no. If, mm. if, if uh, they're, they're running around like that, the question would be who is up there now, leadership material? And, and they, they have precious little in, in, in the way of very experienced AFL footballers. Um, and do you elevate somebody like Malcheski straight into that role where he's been there for five minutes? Uh, Rich Catelli's probably the most experienced, long-term player on the Suns list, but, you know, we don't hear much from him in terms of leadership. I mean, this is, this is the problem, and culture is a peer-to-peer thing. And if your if your peers don't set a particular standard, you, you, you end up you ends up being the lowest common denominator, and I think that's what we're seeing there. Mm. But um, so go on. No, look, you, you're right there, and that also comes back to the the way they drafted as well at the start. You know, you look at the mix of players they had a lot of recycle old players bringing them back from out of retirement and. and and delistings, um, and a huge gap of experience um, to the young kids, the young guys. And I think the problem with putting Richard Tully in there or or, or um, uh, Malczewski is that you're going to piss a lot of the younger guys off who have been there a lot more than these two guys. So I think that sort of falls back to the problems with the Suns recruiting as well. They sort of, I don't think they got it right when you compare that in comparison to GWS who have found that mix um, and that's where I think the big difference is. So, they're, you know, a rookie mistake on their part, the way they went about their draft in the early years and they're paying for it now. Well, this is the way I would put it is for the experienced guys they picked up, Gold Coast probably drafted, probably recruited better quality players, but GWS did not recruit one dickhead. Not one. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. I think. I mean, you might be able to say, "Well, he's sure," and and maybe Scully, but but really, you look. You, they they grafted some guys, you know, guys like Stephen Gillam, who was a Hawthorne Premiership player. Um, who else did they have very early on? Um, Talking about you know, GWS. Yeah, GWS. Uh, Phil Phil Davis, those kind Phil of guys. Highly they've respected. Got, they've got solid guys. They're not. Top nine players, but they've got they got role models. Luke Power was another guy they got in, mm. who was a you know prim, triple premiership player at Brisbane. They got guys in who were good role models. They weren't great players, but they got guys in to say this is the standard you have to set. It no. doesn't seem like that's mm. happened at Gold Coast. It does seem to be paying off for GWS in who who followed a longer term plan, I think, as well. Uh, yes. In that they didn't go for that immediate, and I I was pretty scathing on their recruitment. Uh, based on the fact that they pretty much solely recruited youth, and then they sprinkled in a few, uh, essentially playing coaches, which is literally what Luke Power was recruited for. Yeah. Um, but also guys like Corns who went over there uh, for the same reason that they, they they took all these old senior guys from other clubs who were basically finished and retired, and said we'll give you one more year, we'll give you two more years, but at the same time you've got to be a role model and train these players that are going to take your place. And that seems to have been something that's been lacking in Brisbane 
uh, up in the Gold Coast. So, mm. well, absolutely. I mean, the interesting thing with, with GWS is they did pay B-grade players A-grade money. There was Scully that. Scully was one. Reese Palmer got a lot of money he didn't deserve. But they also got guys like Callum Ward, who's a fantastic footballer, and again, one of these leadership-type guys. So they made mistakes, and those mistakes can be rectified soon when these guys can be given worse deals or pushed out the door altogether. Mm. But but Gold Coast have reaped what they've sowed as well. And, and, and you've got to look, um, you, you, so you've got to look at the, the last couple of years of what's happened up at the Gold Coast, and you've got the, you know, the example there with Campbell Brown. So you're right, I think they've really been lacking the leadership quality on the field. Now, for all that, they did win by a fairly large margin on the weekend over the Lions, who may be in even worse trouble uh, on the field. And Justin Lepic uh, apparently treating his rookies in a inappropriate fashion. Uh, is it anything that it would, would have, wouldn't have happened with someone like, say, Dennis Pagan? Yeah, but or... we're not in the same. It's not the same time. Like you can't do. You can't have like Robert Walls having his players box each other to death. Mm. <laughs> like you can't do that stuff anymore. Yeah, but I mean, this this guy this guy told his coach where to go in front of all his teammates after being benched. So this is Shane Way Woden who coaches their um, Neefel side. He's been disrespectful to his coach. In front of all his, in front of all his players, he's failed to follow instructions. If somebody wants to grab you in, in what is ultimately a very physical environment, say, "Hey, listen, this isn't the way we do things." I, I don't see a problem with that. It's not like he's punched his lights out and you know kicked him no, in the head or something. Look, you, yeah, you're right, but it goes back to the public's perception and, and they hold coaches, AFL, especially AFL senior coaches, at a higher level and, and, and expect a lot more. You know, the same thing, um, similar what happened to uh, Alistair Clarkson last week. Now, he, he could have wailed him. If he was just some suburban coach, he could have knocked that guy out and no one would have cared. But because it was Alistair Clarkson, the senior AFL coach, the media is going to swarm mm. and, and people are going to look so... And this is the problem, you know. I don't think anyone blames him for what he did, but he needs to hold himself in a high position that and understand, look, I am a public personality. People look to me and my team, you know, my, my, my players look to me as as a, as a level of maturity um, and leadership. And he probably just said one of those brain-fed brain fade moments like uh, like your old mate Luke Hodgkin. But, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, sorry, I, I hate to be helpful. No, but see, you're right, you know, it, it's just a brain snap, and uh, I, I really think he's probably wishing he didn't now. But you know, he'll learn from it. But yeah. yeah, it's not something that coaches really should be doing. And he's probably got bigger problems with the performance of his team lately as well. I think they're they're five zero now. Well, Look, zero, Norton fired the lines. Frustration. Look, yeah. you know, I think it's just frustration coming out on uh, on Lippert's part. But you know, he's he's got a team there that's um, not going anywhere at the moment and having a lot of problems. Queensland media having a bit of a field day with it. Uh, apparently, Gillan McLaughlin has uh, had to attend to it personally uh, to matters up in Queensland now. So, is that is that sorry? When you say dealing with it personally, is that, are they talking about the general situation with the Lions? Or it's, it's the general situation with both sides. I think um, there are certain basically Queensland footy is perceived to be publicly perceived in Queensland to be in disarray, and so the AFL is going to probably take a direct hand in it I suspect um, especially since they own the Gold Coast Suns uh, administratively and the Lions are massively in debt and on the AFL hook so and performances like they're going through this year and this year is looking to be very bad for the Lions it's not going to do them any favours in terms of their financial situation so they, they, they look very much like they might only win half Less than half of the games, don't they? Well, I honestly, I don't expect them to win half. I expect them to pull out, you know, a four or five game win season. Yeah, I actually I think, think, yeah, I actually think Brisbane are now looking like the favourites for the spoon this year. It's it's not looking good. And unless the interesting thing a... I thought, the one I think is interesting was James Aish, and this is the thing that I'm really worried about. Is it all of a sudden you've got these kids who are saying, well, I'm not coming back or I want to leave now. It's not clear to me whether Aish is out of contract at the end of this year or not. I think his initial recruiting contract is up. 
the one that he basically get when he's he not drafted. coming back. Look, I, I, this has been going on in various ways since you know the likes of Chalmers and Buckley tampered with the draft. Yes. Uh, and and that's what it was. It was outright draft tampering, and they got away with it because they went to the club that drafted them for a year, or in Chalmers' case, sat out of the league for a year uh, in order to get to the clubs that they wanted to go to. Players have been doing this for their first two years, basically going where they're told for the first two years and then not renewing to go back to wherever the hell they want to go to. It's going to keep going. It's going to keep happening. Players don't want to go north to Brisbane at the moment in the way the situation is. Carlton can't get players in Victoria either. I mean, uh, some clubs are just undesirable uh, destinations at the moment. Sure, but I mean, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for someone who goes in the draft and doesn't like the destination. No, neither do I. It's, because, it's a joke. you know, that's, that's the game. And that's it's the game you sign up for when you put in for the draft. It's why I hated the early drafts where, you know, you had all the South Australian players that would sign up and then just not go. <laughs> like, yes, and a, and, a, so... and, a big, and a big hello to uh, the, the Robran brother who didn't come and play for Hawthorne. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, oh, Jonathan, yes, I can't remember it was Jonathan or Matthew now. But, um, no, yeah. Matthew Robran went for you guys in the end, didn't he? He, um, played, he? he played a season or two after he played for Adelaide. Didn't he? Before, before that? He actually wore the. He had the number between Dipper and he had number nine between when Dipper had it and Shane Crawford. <laughs> but it was the done thing in the first in the first couple of years of that draft. Like players just didn't come over. They they registered for the draft and then just said, "Ah, oh, fuck it, we're staying in Adelaide." <laughs> oh, I think they should make rookie contracts three years. Aren't they three years already? They're two years, another. Yeah. No, two years. Yeah. And I, I know when you get drafted, that initial contract is two years as well. It's. But yeah. even that these days... There's, yeah. there's nothing you can do to stop it. Players will go where they have to. It's part of the agreement with the Players Association. You go where you have to for the first two years, and then after that, you're free to, um, you know, you're free to go wherever you can get a contract. Well, you're free to go wherever you can be traded to. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the thing. And the Tom Boyd thing's a bit different because he went after his first year. Yes. And to me, that's, that's the club's fault. With GWS sort of said, "No, you're not going. You will be here next year. And if at the end of it, you you know, do you think if Boyd had stayed, would he, you know, and GWS are doing well, would he have, you know, that's the question. He, if he leaves, you can't convince him to stay. Mm. So you, you no. know, yeah. Look, the problem. The, the problem is the problem is though. The problem is with that. And, and look, I'm not defending the Boyd situation. I'm playing devil's advocate here. Is that any player from any club, they've got a year left on their contract. The club doesn't want to trade them. The player decides, okay, well, bugger you guys. I'm not going to play next year, and I'll nominate for the draft, and the club cannot make them play. Well, it's it's not a lot the club, different. The club can't force them to play. So the clubs have been to the barrel because if a player wants to go, they'll go. Yeah, He can't go back in the draft once he's played a year. He has to be traded. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is that, for example, another rookie does this and he decides after spending a year at GWS that he doesn't want to spend the next year, okay, and GWS says, no, we're not trading you, that's fine. But he can turn around to GWS and say, well, I'm not playing for you. That's fine, and watch your your value plummet. He takes his chances in the pre-season draft, though, Messenger. What's that? He goes into the pre-season draft. He doesn't have to be traded. If his contract's up, yeah, but if he goes in the pre, if if his point is to get somewhere he wants to go, the best way for him to do that is, is to play and be traded. Yeah, no, that, he can't I agree. say, "Oh, we'll go in and say, well, congratulations, we've got the number one pick and we're picking you up again.'" I mean, yeah, but that's where I think that's where I think this, this is heading towards, and and the AFL I think is treading on on you know icing that certain aspect. They've got to really be careful about the way that like they're letting these trades go because it's setting up a huge precedent. And open the floodgates for, for future trades in similar fashion. So I think they really need to do something about it. Oh, it look, and, and, and I said this, I think, at the end of last year, and regardless of how well GWS and Bulldogs are doing this year, I think that GWS did themselves a terrible disservice by, by they came to Boyd and they, uh, GWS and Boyd's people said, he is going at the end of next year, mm. trading now. And what they should have said, well, let's see, I'll call you bluff and we'll see how we go. Yeah. But by doing that, what you've essentially said is, well, I'm lying on my back, tickle my tummy, please don't hurt me. 
You've got to say, no, yeah. no, no. You you signed up for this. You stick out to your contract. Yeah. That said, though, GWS well, have done pretty well with Ryan Griffin. I'm sure they have. <laughs> they sure they have, and particularly as I think, aren't the Bulldogs paying most of his contract? Uh, they're front-loading some of it, not all of it, I don't think. But then, yeah. then Boyd's, only, Boyd's only on a rookie, only on his rookie wage as well. So, well, I mean, they're effectively yeah. paying this. They're effectively paying Boyd a million dollars now because they're paying for Griffin. Well, look, who's who's look who's who's who was in the wrong here? Because at the, at the end of the day, if 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 a player comes out in the media and says he wants to go to a club, the club that he wants to go to is going to throw a carrot, and that's mm. what the dogs did. They threw a carrot at GWS, and they bit. They took it. Well, what they could have also done is said. What uh, the what GWFs has said is we'll, we'll we'll do you a good deal for Griffin, but we're keeping Boyd. Mm. I'm not sure yeah. that I'm not sure there was any point in keeping a disgruntled player around for a year. Yeah, but this is this is, this I, is I understand this what is you're the saying. argument that clubs use mm. all the time to roll over. Is, oh, we don't want to keep him if he doesn't like it here. Well, does he like playing AFL football? I think he's they... got a contract with an AFL club. Yeah, but I yeah, think... again, again, you've got to remember. That no, that no court's going to make a player play football, you know, or, or perform a service if they don't want to play. So, so this is this is the look. This is the predicament that all clubs find themselves. They get to a situation, or potentially get to a situation where they have a disgruntled player who doesn't want to play. Mm. And you know yourself through history with Buckingham v. v Hawthorne in '89. He didn't want to play for Hawthorne anymore, and so he went back and played in the waffle. Um, yeah. So I think I don't think it's anything that it's something that we're ever really going to see the end of, and it's something that. Is always going to be causing problems, but I, I don't. Th- I think clubs are too weak on this, and and I honestly think if they had said to Boyd, "You have to stay," and if Boyd would say, "Oh well, I'm not going to play," I say, "Well, you good luck with your projects." I think and we'll see when you run back to us and you want to play because anybody who's willing to sit out that long just to do that, I mean, really, you, are you really going to cut your nose off to spite your face these days with this? This generation of kids. I don't think they have a choice, Messenger, in it. I think the problem is is that you've got a very militant players' association that are looking for reasons to Im- increase and improve uh, the free agency deal that they've got now. I think you've got to understand that the uh, the, the draft as we have it now and the, the, the salary and all that stuff that we have now, this is all restraint of trade that the AFLPA could turn around and say the next CBA that we're not going to have a bar of. Um, and if you start keeping players that don't want to stay at your club, the militancy just gets worse, and the players will start rebelling, and the AFL and the clubs don't want that to get, uh, don't want to cross that mountain at the moment. I, that is, I, a, is a huge mountain. That's a that's a very much worst case scenario. I again, it, the draft and all those controls that are in the system are all in the players' interests as well as the club's interests. Yeah, but you only have to start having a few senior players start saying, okay, well, this isn't working for us anymore. And then the yeah. Players Association, start, they're all cracks in that wall, man. And you know, you get cracks in a wall, the wall's eventually going to come down, and they're already looking at that with free agency. You start keeping players against their will, and that goes to court. And all yeah. it takes is one player to take it to court, like happened... Uh, in the uh, New South Wales Rugby League, and the and the judge says you cannot trade players or keep players against their will. What I would say about that is that in your analogy, the players and the clubs are actually standing on on the same side of the wall. So if it falls over, it falls over on both of them. Yeah. If you start in that system where it's open slather, you can have clubs die, and all of a sudden the AFLPA actually gets smaller mm. because fewer people have jobs. And all of a sudden, you've got you'll have a you'll have it on the NBA where you'll have two blokes on a fifteen man roster making fifty percent of the salary cap between them, yep. and everybody else fighting for the scraps underneath. All right, so, this, sorry, you this... know, there, it, it's there's a there's a, some mutual interest in this, and I don't think I think the players, if that's the, the advice the players get, I think it's bad advice. Mm. So this yeah. leads us into the final topic I wanted to talk about before we got into the games and uh, Mike brought this up before the podcast about the AFL Players Association seeking uh, uh, some equalisation measures Mike Yes that's right so I know it was actually released two hours ago about the AFLPA 
Workplace Association pushing for equalisation, basically to get a better spread of the wages across the um, against the playing field. So, what they're looking at doing is pushing uh, the introduction of um, an equalisation super fund um, to better spread the money across the playing staff of the AFL today. So, uh, they're looking at um, pushing for a union. Well. An introduction of a radical revenue sharing arrangement between the AFL's 18 teams and the upcoming wages negotiations with League Chiefs. So it looks like the AFLPA is going to push a hard line there to see more money go to the players, um, more money going to the financial battlers of the AFL in order to secure the jobs of these future players or these current future players in their future careers. Is that right? Now, Messenger, your, your club is one of the richer clubs. Yes. How does this affect you? Well... Hawthorne, I was thinking, by and large, I think they've managed their money very well. I mean, you can argue about the, the, the joint venture at, at Caroline Springs and how effective that's been. But ultimately, Hawthorne have lifted themselves up by their bootstraps and their position has been, well, if we can do it, why the hell can't you do it too? Hmm. And and in some respects, these... And this is also goes towards the, the, the super tax on... Uh, football department spending and things like that. It's just, you're making an argument to say, well, we want we want to protect the lowest common denominator from themselves and remove the moral hazard for these guys. Now, Hawthorne are making hay very much, I think, while the sun shines. They've got 70,000 members now, but really that strength is built on on-field success. And so what they're really trying to do is insulate themselves for a time where that success may wane, as it happens cyclically for every football club. You have your good times and your bad times. And Hawthorne, the, the memory of what Hawthorne happened to Hawthorne 20 years ago is still close enough for people to say, hey, we can get ahead of ourselves. And and I think the it's still in this league, the on-field success begets the off-field success. Well, and here we go. I mean, sorry, um, Messenger. No, 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 please, please. A- AFL Players Association Chief Paul Marsh has gone on the record to say that it will improve competitive balance um, around the equalisation measures, which will help maximise, according to Paul, the interest in the game and allow a fair share of the game's revenue to be delivered to players. Um, but then Eddie Maguire goes on the uh, press to say that the only form of equalisation that counts is basically getting rid of Cola and uh, the academies and any other prejudices in the draft. And if we look at one particular example, and this is where I see uh, Eddie Maguire being irate, is that under the 30% revenue sharing model, if they looked at the 2014 finances, Collingwood would contribute 22.9 million and just receive 14.2. So they'd be negative about $8.7 million, whereas in Kilda would actually be $5 million better off. So, again, we've got to look at the agenda that the AFLPA is pushing here, and they're looking at basically protecting the wages of their own players in the future, but at what cost to the club? Well, I think also you'd probably find that West Coast and Fremantle would end up paying a lot of money as well. Same with Adelaide and Port. Adelaide and Port, and, and Hawthorne, for the time being, would pay a lot of money. But really what you're doing is protecting poorly run clubs from themselves, aren't mm. you? Isn't that what you're doing? And penalising teams for being prudent off the field and being successful on the field. Well, I think what the, what the other argument that Marshall's coming across or putting forward to is, you know, the wealthier clubs, Mag, uh, Collingwood, Hawthorne, West Coast and Essendon have uh, bigger revenue streams, sponsorship, membership, basically fixturing um, stadium deals. So it's also looking at that um, aspect where you've got the bigger clubs who can afford it under the eyes of, eyes of Paul Marshall, afford um, to be you know, paying a greater share or, or receiving a lesser share in comparison to the other clubs. So um, you've got to look I, at... Sorry, Mike. You've got to look at that, right. though, and say, OK, Collingwood, of their $75 million in revenue that they pulled in, pulled in... Like nearly thirty million dollars from non-football revenues, like not sponsorship, nothing like that. It's from their uh, pie in the sky travel stuff and uh, their their pokies investments. Uh, Hawthorne did twenty million odd from uh, their pokies investments and their other, you know, non-football uh, stuff. 
Carlton did nearly twenty million in pokey stuff. What's what's going to happen here if the Players Association push this agenda and anyone tries to enforce it? Is those assets are simply going to be split off? Yes. The club will end up with the same situation that the rugby league clubs have in New South Wales, where they split off their pokies operations for tax purposes. Mm. And this will happen. You and the, no one will be better off. Clubs will be worse off. Players won't get anywhere. The players aren't going to get a hell of a lot better deal than they've got now in the next uh, in the next uh, CBA. Anyway, I firmly believe that the next the next deal is going to look after the clubs, not the players. So, I, I, I think the players will do a little better, but this again comes back to what you know on-field success be getting off-field success. And if you use the example of your team, Mike, do you think if you can maintain what you've done in the first five weeks over the season, would you be in the least bit surprised if you got a better deal on television next year and you're going to sell a lot of Marcus Bontempelli Guernseys and, and a lot of Jake Stringer Guernseys and, 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 and build the membership up that way? That's where it started for Hawthorne. Well, That's how it started for Hawthorne. Is you, yeah. you, you had to have a product on the field that was worth watching and it got the people in and it, and it built it up. Let, let's not be too disingenuous here, uh, Messenger. Where it started for Hawthorne was their move, uh, was the Waverley deal. Yes. And then the move to Tasmania and then but, the Premiership in 2008 and then the membership explosion after that. You can track the figures. Sure, but they're all, but they're all good... That's all good business decisions, but the other thing they had to do before they did all that is that they were one of the worst teams in the league. They were you know, mid two thousands. They were a terrible team, yet they were had the they were paying a hundred percent of the TPP. Mm. They were paying blokes to play. You know, Nick Holland was on six hundred thousand dollars a year in two thousand and four, and he played two games. You know, and played eighteen games at Box Hill. These are the you know. You've got to get your house in order there and then draft the big, the, the right kids. And yes, we made some good decisions financially, but the thing that got the members in wasn't, hey, look, kids, we were at Waverley. The thing that got the members in and the members' revenue was, look at the team, look how well the team's doing. Mm. And, 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 and that's where it all comes from. And that gets the sponsors in too. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Well, you've got to have that long-term business plan because nothing short-term. If you only focus on short-term, it doesn't last. Mm. But I mean, that's the crux first, of it. Hawthorne's first move was to tailor the suit to the cloth they had. And that was the first move. And then they had to get lucky at the draft table and get lucky in the, and pick the right coach and, and do all of those things. But sometimes, you know, you've got teams that were just making bad decision after bad decision or just being unlucky. We can say St Kilda, Hello, for example, Princess Melbourne, Park. you know, <laughs> and Melbourne and and Carlton. But you know, a few things are going to come together at once. But but I don't think that they should be penalised for that success. Yeah, I mean, you know, if they want to spend money on player development, well, isn't that a good thing? No, no. Well, you have you have to spend. You've got to spend money on player development. You've got to spend money on facilities and your and your uh, your club to develop your team. I mean, that goes hand in hand. You can't develop a professional team without the infrastructure and, and uh, club to support them. But so. we're saying, but we're saying we want to cap this now. We're saying, well, you can't spend money on this, and you, yeah, and now now we want to cap it because it's not fair to the other teams who don't do it. Yes. Well, if the other teams want to do it. Make start making some good decisions. Start start doing the right thing instead of having to you know put the reins on the clubs who actually know how to do it properly. Often Look, I think, oh, sorry, I, I think the problem is is the timing. I think they're doing this far too late. They should have done this twenty years ago. Implemented these measures as the game started growing as the revenue strings started coming into the game, I think that's that's the problem. They've done this far too late. I think I think the problem is that equalisation didn't it it wasn't it didn't cover everything. It covered mm. like you had the draft, you had the salary cap. Okay, that that was great. But what you didn't have was uh, when the league ex- when the league expanded and we went beyond that twelve teams, pl- uh, clubs got an unfair advantage in their fixturing, in their television coverage. And it was never balanced. It still hasn't been balanced. Huh. 
and it's one of the most common things complained about uh, amongst supporters when you look at uh, base, taking big footy as an example, and I know it's a bad example to take, but when you look at those vocal kind of supporters, they're the ones complaining. The fixture, it's always the, the fixture is the problem, and you look at uh, clubs like Bulldogs and Melbourne and North Melbourne who can barely get on free-to-air television in their home market, let alone, ever, you know, if they can get on it at all. Um, it, it's, you know, and, and they're fixturing that brings a lot of interstate clubs down here to play them at Eddie had. It just, it, it, this is why clubs can't get ahead. This is why clubs can't match it with Collingwood who plays 17 games or 16 games a year at the MCG under the MCG contract with the AFL. It just, it, I'm not, I'm not a big subscriber to Collingwood's, you know, to the whole Collingwood never travel thing and it's not fair that they get all these games whatever but it's the way that they're fixtured for Friday nights and primetime TV and blockbuster games and it, it just and, and then you look at clubs like Melbourne and, and, and the Bulldogs and North Melbourne and St Kilda who cannot get any of these things even if they wanted them they could not get them no, these are, these are, these are the change. These Sorry, are the, the only way that's going to change is is for clubs like the Bulldogs or North Melbournes to actually start winning flags. But even and, then, you look at the fixture this well, year. It didn't North, help North Melbourne 15 years ago. You look at the fixture this year. North Melbourne did pretty well last year. The fixture hasn't changed this year. Mm. Like that, their, their fixture is no better. They got, I think, an extra Friday night game, maybe two. Uh, Friday night, and my club has benefited more from Friday nights than anyone else, much to Message's uh, constant oh, chagrin. God help me. And I don't, I don't know why that is. I don't know why we have so many Friday night games. Honestly, I don't know who at Channel 7 and who at the AFL is deciding to put us on every Friday night. But, it, you know, there we are. And it's not fair to clubs like Melbourne. It's not fair to clubs like North Melbourne. And it's definitely not fair to clubs like the Bulldogs, who are one of the most exciting teams on the park this year and yet aren't getting the TV coverage. They're not on TV this weekend. The only way you can watch them is if you have Foxtel. And that, you know, the audience for that is, you know, about a quarter of what a nationally broadcast game would be worth. So when when you talk equalisation, you've got to factor all of these things in. It can't just be the draft, and it can't just be the salary cap, and it can't just be about taking money from one club and giving it to another. The fixture plays a big part, and your television exposure plays a big part, and it's all got to be factored in at some point. Yes, but if you're if you're relying on television money, then ultimately, if the you know if the piper says, "Listen, I want this is I'm going to give you this," but don't tell me I have to show Melbourne versus you know Fremantle on a Friday night yes, when three three blokes and dog want to watch it, I want prime time. I want quality programming. Yes, but who at who at Channel 7 went, okay, you know what'll be good primetime programming this year? Carlton. We'll play them seven games this year. Friday nights, you know. Well, and, and look, you, you'll get nobody agree more fervently with you than that. And last I... year it was 17 free-to-air games for Carlton. So, and North Melbourne, I think, ended up with like seven. Oh, look, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you find there's somebody very, very senior in the, direct, in the sports department of Channel 7 a Carlton supporter. It'll be something as stupid as that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, Look, what, whatever it is, though. That's... When it comes to football, free-to-air football, free-to-air TV and football games, it's all about the advertising dollar. That's what it comes down to, which games are going to draw the most viewers and where is our marketing stream for money from, you know, those people that want to put those ads on TV. Yeah, mm. I, I get that's that. That's all too. it's about. I'm just saying that equalisation needs to factor in all of those things and until it does and until it can and until the AFL can say to the networks look we don't need as much of your money and that's never going to happen no of course then, not then equalisation there truly is no actual complete equalisation um, and all we can do is just pull out these stopgap measures every couple of years and go well you know we can't give you everything you want you know, we can't have, you know, every team just play one game a year because that'll cut our media rights. We can't have, you know, you know, teams can't play each other once and then that's it and then we'll have the finals or teams can't play each other twice because then the season goes too long. Just, <laughs> you know, we can't yeah. we can't make the fixture even. We can't make the TV broadcast even. Here's a salary cap and draft, though, that's going to actually handicap you because players don't want to go to you. 
or you can't afford to pay the full salary cap, but we're going to put the minimum amount you can pay at 95%. So even if you can't afford to pay the salary cap, we're still going to screw you over financially that way. It's oh, it just There's so much involved in this that isn't just one segment of the game, and there's no easy fix, and all you can do is win. Which is what the dogs the salary, are doing The salary floor is way too, low, uh, too high. And really, if you were saying, and we use the example of Brisbane now, if you're that bad, why shouldn't you be paying 90% of the salary cap? But this is what happens when you force club, when you force clubs and you force the league to pay a fixed amount, a fixed percentage of the income. So they have to pay 27% of the income derived from football sources. Um, yep. And so you have to pay a minimum amount. Otherwise, you're not meeting what's required under the CBA and I hate the CBA for that because I think clubs should be able to say okay look our players aren't worth that amount the market doesn't decide uh, well sorry the the, 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 the the football the football related revenue sets the salary cap the 100% mark doesn't it yeah so and this is and this is the NBA model of, of salary caps and in the NBA I think that number is actually 51% mm. of basketball related income so that sets the cap, but it's the floor that's the issue, really. Mm. And for a long time, I think it was it used to be 92.5, didn't it? Yeah, and then it got raised uh, pretty much. It was one of the measures the AFL used to wipe out Fitzroy. Yeah. By increasing the salary cap floor so they couldn't use it. So, yeah. fun... I don't think there's any easy solution. Mike, I hope your team keeps winning and I hope uh, you do get the increase that you need. It's uh, to get the increased exposure because clubs like yours and that, that are playing truly exciting football this year deserve better exposure than they're getting. God, oh, look, did I have to ever, watch your, ever have to watch your sorry mob again? My God. <laughs> if I have to watch my sorry mob again. Yes. <laughs> But that's a rant for another day. We're going to move on to the weekend's football. And very quickly, uh, a lot of blowouts this weekend. It is a worrying sign for the AFL. But Friday night, uh, Collingwood slaughtered Carlton uh, for the 25 people that sat down and watched the game. Uh, This was uh, 75 points in the end. Carlton played an appalling game. Um, I pulled a highlights package from it that I do for the Blues every week. It came to about four minutes out of 80, so... Hey, was... look, you know, you know when you, some some you know somebody that's been a bit nobody really likes dies, and everybody feels like they have to say something nice about them. Mm. Isn't that how we all felt about t- being nice about Mick Malthouse last week? Because mm. he spent his whole time <laughs> he, would, he wouldn't he wouldn't piss on most football journalists if they were on fire, and they all had to sing his praises for a week. And the minute the game's over. Gloves are back off. Yeah, back to resume normal programming. Yes. Anyway, the club keeps losing like this, and he definitely won't be coaching next year, that's for sure. Um, Saturday, Richmond played Geelong. This was a relatively close game. Nine points in it in the end to the Cats. Are the Cats on the way back? No. No? Okay. Uh, Mike, we are going to talk about this game a little bit because it was the game of the round. Uh, Sydney versus the Bulldogs. Messenger says it was the game of the season. Uh, yes. Four points to the Bulldogs at the SCG. So playing away against one of the top-ranked teams in the league. How, how did you? Uh, how did you go? Oh, look, pretty good. And I think I I would put that credit to um, Beveridge being able to actually, you know, see where the game is going and make those changes. Because at one point in time, well, actually in the last quarter, the Swans did hit the front there, and I thought, oh no, here we go. They're going to steamrolls, and um, you know, to the to the team's credit, they they got the goal back through some wood and uh, held on for that uh, last three minutes of football. If you if you actually watch that last three minutes or, or watch the play by play read or read the play by play, it's it's something something else. Um, but look, it was always going to be a hard game playing Sydney up there, and and we knew the weather was coming along; it was going to be a slog fest, which it did turn out to be. Um, the first quarter though started off pretty quickly for the Swans with a couple of goals and I thought geez that's not a good sign but um, no we got back in we actually kicked I think five goals in a row to there too to start the match so look um, it was a really good win I think not just saying that because I'm 
I'm a dog supporter, but I think if you look at the how the dog stuck with them for the whole game and, and really didn't give them an inch, um, there's a lot of good things to come out of that game in terms of where the dogs are going. And it's pretty hard not to like them at this point in time. Um, you know, I, most of us thought, oh, against the Swans, I'll probably lose, but I think they're surprising a lot of us. Mm. Uh, as for the Swans, you know, you can never take anything from the Swans. Um, they probably should have won, um, and they probably would have been a steal if they did, but, you know, a great win for the Dogs uh, under those conditions, and good to see a number of those players getting up and, and having a good game, and Lee Pickin has been an absolute... Uh, Gemma over the last few weeks in the game, you know, players like Pickin and, and Bob Murphy and Matthew Boyd, um, the older guys, just seem to be playing, uh, playing like spring chickens rather than uh, seasoned veterans. Start of the year, did you see yourself being four and one after round five? No, not a hope. Uh, I would hope. I was hoping, you know, we would probably be two and three. There's no way I would have picked us to beat um, Sydney and even Adelaide. Um, mm. West Coast was a little bit iffy because they usually play all right. But, you know, surprise. I think the the test now is going to be to see how long they can maintain um, and at what point they fade because I'm, I'm expecting them to fade out at some point in time, sort of towards end of the year, maybe from around 15 onwards. Um, and I'm not saying they're going to win every game up until that point. But there's still, you know, still a, still a young team. Uh, they still need, I think, that 20, 25 to 50 game experience level before they start in their straps. But, you know, as I said, they are, they are, they are a joy to watch at the moment. Okay. They've got, a, they've got a nice draw in the next few weeks. They've got two, three eminently winnable games, and I think, I think they're probably their most difficult game in the next five weeks is about hosting Port Adelaide in about four weeks' time. I no, no, that... we've got, actually got Fremantle after the Saints <gasps> next week. Oh, the Seppos. Yeah. you got the Seppos yes. into... Yes, <laughs> Seppos. Oh, my apologies. My yeah. God. But you've that's also the, that's got... That's the match they wanted to move. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. Yes. They... You've also got... Um... But, you, but you've got them both at home, though. That's the point. You've got yeah. them both in Melbourne. But that, and you've that... also got St Kilda in Melbourne and Essendon or something like that. I mean, you... Look, I think... I think that I think the St Kilda Melbourne Essendon games are all winnable games. Um, Fremantle is going to be a really really hard game. Fremantle are, are a really good side. Um, I think they'll probably beat us. That game uh, against Fremantle, Mike, that's going to be first v second. I reckon yeah, by that time. Yeah, probably, probably. That... And Port, oh. not sure about Port. They match well against us, Port. Mm. Yeah. Moving along, and Gold Coast played the Brisbane Lions on Saturday afternoon in a forgettable game, but the Lion, uh, Gold Coast getting up by 64 points there uh, mm. in a big win. Mm. One of the teams needed a win. The Lions now on the bottom of the ladder with Norton 5 now. Not, Somebody had to, yes. Yeah. You, you, you know, you would have thought it was going to be a draw given they were both Norton 4 before that, but there you go. North Melbourne. Mm. Sorry. No, I didn't say anything. Fair enough. North Melbourne played Hawthorne on Saturday night in a big game. The roof was closed, apparently. And uh, Hawthorne still won that game, despite uh, some fireworks, apparently, and uh, Luke Hodge getting himself suspended for three weeks, um, you know, for fisty cuffs, I believe is the appropriate term. Uh, Ten-goal win to the Hawks there. Messenger? Well... I think we're, this is this is the thing that's been lost in all the, the histrionics from uh, from North supporters who who don't seem none of whom seem to remember the career of Glenn Archer or or, or any part of Boomer Win- Harvey's last ten years. Winston Abraham or Winston Abraham, yeah, because of course they've all been such delicate wallflowers at North Melbourne over the time. But um, this was a game in which Hawthorne, who have had a lot of trouble in first quarters against good teams came out and put the foot down and the forearm out and the elbow out as well. But um, they they played a very aggressive uh, brand of footy. They got a good start and they ran away with it against a team that were a prelim finalist last year. And, and um, I certainly didn't pick them to win by this much. And uh, a very, very good outing. Very, very mm. pleasing for Hawthorne supporters. Mm. The other game, Saturday night, West Coast played uh, GWS... Uh, if you can call it playing West Coast one by nine, well, eighty-seven points in the end, in a in a big win. 
if you have yeah, a look at the stats, but you know, you have a look at the stats on that, and and they were almost level pegging in possessions, contested ball, uncontested possessions, and yet I think from memory, GWS had thirty-seven inside fifties for thirteen scoring shots. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a very peculiar game, but I mean they were for for what should be a prize midfield, they they really struggled. Mm. Sunday, Melbourne played Fremantle in what was also a blowout, another 10-goal win uh, to the Dockers, uh, 68 points in the end. The Dockers uh, well clear at the top of the ladder. Undefeated, the only team undefeated at the moment, 5-0 with 151%. So, I, I don't know if you uh, caught it, Wookie, but there was a photo on Twitter this week of uh, a certain member of the Victorian-based Fremantle cheer squad uh, having a uh, selfie with the chairman of the Fremantle Football Club at the game, and I knew it was our mate because he had a very, very large I love Nat Fife button on his jumper. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's... I don't, and, and, and I tell you what, that button, she, she had her hair done that day, Nat. It looked beautiful. It looked beautiful. But, uh, yes, he's he's a man about town, is our Seppo. I was going to say, it's not a recently appointed supermod, is it? <laughs> so, uh, Sunday afternoon, late Sunday afternoon, St Kilda played Essendon in what was the closest game of the round. Uh, this game decided uh, by two points, 11-14 to 11-16 in Essendon's favour. Essendon uh, coming back now? No, no. Are St Kilda good or Essendon bad, or are they both about the same? I don't know. I don't know. See, don't know. We, we beat St Kilda last week, but Essendon flogged us the week before. So. And, and you know what? And I watched Essendon torch us for two quarters. Yeah. Torch us. And then they played that, and I don't know, they've come right back to the pack the last couple mm. of weeks. The last game of the round, of course, Adelaide, Port Adelaide, the showground in Adelaide. Uh, uh, Port Adelaide winning that game by 24 points in the end. Uh, so, fun stuff. Mm. At the end of the round, Port, uh, sorry, Port Adelaide, Fremantle at the top of the ladder. Five wins, zero losses. Uh, Collingwood second. Uh, with four wins and one loss. There's a couple of teams there on four and one. Uh, Western Bulldogs being uh, the second one there, just behind them on percentage. Collingwood having Geelong, Western Bulldogs having St Kilda this week. Uh, Hawthorne coming in fourth spot behind the Bulldogs there uh, with three and two, the Eagles three and two, the Swans three and two, and the Crows and GWS and Essendon and Port Adelaide all three and two. So a bit of a logjam there, uh, between 4th and 10th, and then between 11th and 14th, you've got uh, Richmond North, Melbourne and Geelong on 2 and 3, Gold Coast, St Kilda and Carlton with one win apiece, and the Lions haplessly at the bottom with five losses. So fun stuff there. Yeah. Not really, it's an appalling letter. <laughs> But um, and and do the blow does the number of blowouts this way? I mean, there were four games decided by ten goals. Is that concerning? Well, I guess it depends on which teams you're talking about. I I'm, guess I'm it's talking about general North and North certainly blowout uh, oh. concerning there, and and even well, I don't know about GWS people would be putting them to be rising this year. I'm talking about in terms of general competition, like in terms of a, like the competition in general, might like is. Some teams are just uncompetitive at the moment. By the look of I things, I just get the feeling that clubs have trouble, more trouble, stopping a run on. And you've mm. seen teams come back from when we saw in the in the first round, we saw Sydney come back from seven goals down in a quarter. We've seen Hawthorne make two big comebacks and one and and and, and just fail to to make it. I just think teams are just so much better organised that when they get a run on, it's just it, 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 stopping it's harder now I think mm. which which sort of is counterintuitive to the way teams organise themselves defensively but it seems that once you're picked apart you, you, you're well and truly picked apart Indeed 
Um, any thoughts on this last round before we move on to the coming weekend? No. 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 Excellent. We're going to move straight on then. No messing about. Friday night, Collingwood have Geelong in the Friday night blockbuster. Messenger will be glad that it's not Carlton. Uh, playing, of course, there's 30% chance of rain here, 17 degrees. It's going to be a cold weekend in Melbourne, guys, if you're uh, oh, yeah. wondering. 14 yeah. degrees during the day is the max on Saturday. Um, it's been so, cold the last week. But cold and, by the looks of it, a good chance of it being wet. So uh, good luck if you're going to the Collingwood game on Friday night, but you're all Collingwood supporters, so I don't care. Yeah. Saturday, <laughs> North Melbourne. <laughs> North Melbourne have Richmond at Blundstone Arena in Hobart. Uh, this game is the national broadcast game for Saturday, which basically means it's been broadcast in Melbourne and Brisbane only. Uh, 70% chance of showers, 14 degrees. What a miserable day that's going to be. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Now, absolutely. Yeah. Who's got the most to lose in this game? Oh, I reckon North Melbourne. North, I don't think think? Richmond got anything to lose anymore. They can't go any lower than what they are now. Richmond would be no. wanting a win. North Melbourne wouldn't want to be losing at the moment. Mm. Has, has Damien Hardwick ever so gently snuck up to the top of the first <laughs> coast to be sacked list? Uh, he's he's getting there, but I reckon Malthouse is favourite at the moment for mine. No, no, no. Yeah. He's 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 got a contract they'll honour. I reckon. It's just, they'll be itching in the Richmond boardroom. They haven't sacked a coach in so long. They'll just they'll be having the jitters. <laughs> no, Malthouse will play out. Malthouse will coach out this year. And that would that's support. it. I think it'll be that'll be end of it. Yeah. Um, oh, who was it? I can't remember now. Uh, it doesn't matter. We'll move on to the next game. The Bulldogs on St Kilda. Alan Richardson. That's who I was thinking of. At St Kilda. He's <sighs> got to be under the pump. Um, Western Bulldogs on St Kilda I, this is at Etihad Stadium so the weather doesn't matter but um, it's only going to be 17 degrees in Melbourne on the Saturday so uh, this is not broadcast on free to air TV at all and I would expect the Bulldogs to come through this in a canter yes comfortably oh look I, I won't say a canter um, <laughs> but I, I, I think around 18 to 20 points there be honest Mike be honest this is going to be Stop a 10 goal flogging <laughs> no no you, you, no absolutely not because <laughs> because this is the type of the game this is the type of match that the dogs could drop so you know I'm not confident, confident about any games at this point in time you know always expect always expect uh, the unexpected is what I say all right, big game on Saturday evening at Spotless Oval between the GWS and Hawthorne. This game broadcast on Seven Mate in Sydney only. Otherwise, on Fox Hill, it's going to be a sunny day, 21 degrees. Uh, Mess, how are you going to go? Uh, it's going to be a new look, Hawthorne, because we'll have a couple of guys who will be um, sitting watching in their uh, club suits on the weekend. But um, hopefully we will see the return of... Uh, Jonathan O'Rourke and Jed Anderson and we might even see Jonathan Simpkin into the team um, and it will also be I think the debut of Hawthorne's new alternate strip which we have dubbed the Power Rangers strip <laughs> it is one of the most horrific football Guernseys created in quite a while and uh, kids kids will all get a chance to look at it on uh, on Saturday and uh, laugh Is this that worse than that Checkered one that the Hawthorne. No, 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 no. The checkered one is now cult classic <laughs> status. In fact, they actually sell it at the club in limited runs. That, now, the che- that, that the is one. hands down the worst jumper I've ever seen on an AFL. No, it, it's now so bad it's good. But let me tell you, this also if you by haven't seen on it the yet, weekend. Go and have a look at it. It has no redeeming features whatsoever. <laughs> Adidas should be shot. Uh, our three games Saturday night for some reason. Gold Coast. Well, half of Gold Coast will play Adelaide. Um, a lot of players out for disciplinary reasons and injuries. Uh, this game at Metricon Stadium at 7.10pm. It's a nice day scheduled for the Gold Coast for a change. Sunny, 25 degrees. Won't be sunny at night, of course, but weather should be nice. Oh, jeez, thanks for that, that tip. <laughs> Won't be sunny at night. Um, Adelaide by a squillion billion. Fair enough. Uh, Melbourne plays Sydney at the MCG on Saturday night. Uh, Is that the Brian Taylor matches around? It could be. Oh, absolutely. 60% chance of showers. Uh, 17 uh, degrees at night. Well, 17 degrees during the day, so about 12 degrees at night. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
Well, I think Sydney have got this one. I think they'll uh, be coming out after last weekend wanting to make a point. <coughs> yeah, no, Swan's, Swan's easy here. Uh, and the last game for Saturday, Fremantle have Essendon at uh, Domain Stadium in Perth uh, at uh, 6 o'clock. This game's broadcasted to Perth on free-to-air TV only. And again, sunny weather in Perth for the day. Not so much at night, of course, Messenger, just for you. Um, right, will it be dark at night? It will be, apparently. <laughs> 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 you know, that, that, could be inter- that could be an interesting game because uh, Essendon have... One yard game over there against Fremantle, mate. No Pavlich, so yeah. Um, I tell you what, I still think Freo are going to win this one. The Fremantle by ten goals uh, in a canter. In a canter. <laughs> in a canter. All right. Uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, Carlton have Brisbane at uh, Docklands. Uh, this game is oh, the my national God. broadcast game for Sunday. Um, and yeah, so the weather doesn't matter because it's so. So Wookie, yes, Wookie, in, in, if if Brisbane win this game, how on a scale of one to ten, with let's say ten being very sad and one being just a little bit sad, how sad will you be? I like Robert Warnock sad. Let's just say that I think on Wednesday we'll be hosting the all-new Big Footy Rugby League podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, it's it's, it's the inedible and the unspeakable, isn't it? That's what will be happening. Uh, This game, Carlton, are selling their uh, adult tickets at uh, two for the price of one, which I uh, was talking to the guys about before the podcast. It appalls me that we've got to this point. Um, that Carlton, supposedly one of the big four clubs in Victoria, uh, reduced to gimmicks like this to try and pull a crowd. It is just is shameful and indicative of where our club is at at the moment. That okay, we... so so Wookie, crowd under or over thirty thousand? If this crowd, oh, it's not going to pull. It'll pull twenty five. Oh my god, twenty five. If that, how many Carl- how many members of Carlton got? Uh, 46. Far out. 46,000, but if, you, if you've got the choice of going to see this game featuring Brisbane, who are playing appalling football at the moment, the games at Eddie had, which isn't one of the favourite places for Carlton members to go and watch the footy. Um, Carlton aren't playing great footy. It's a Sunday after, It's a late Sunday afternoon game. Um... If you've got the choice between doing this and gardening, you'd stay home and garden. Would you go to the football or give yourself a vasectomy? <laughs> Honestly, I would do it with my own teeth if I had to. That's that's <laughs> that's that's the, cho- <laughs> that's the choice I'm making. And demonstrate the flexibility of a uh, gymnast. I, enjoy, I, I note with interest that uh, Brendan Favola is offering Levi Casbolt goal kicking uh, coaching if he wants it. Um, is he always... one of the ones that tied Levi Casbolt to that pole on the boat? No, I think he was gone by then. I think it was oh, the year okay. after that that, that happened. Yes. But, um, yeah, no, fair for all of his faults, could kick a goal. So he was, um, <laughs> as long as he's not offering him a tour of the social highlights of uh, Melbourne at the same time, he should be okay. But for all of his faults, fair could kick a bloody good goal when he wanted to, so... Um, Port Adelaide versus West Coast the last game of the round this game being played at Adelaide Oval on what is apparently a very popular fixture for the AFL in uh, on, on late late Sunday afternoon in Adelaide um, Port Adelaide should win that with a fairly handily I would have thought uh, yeah. I don't know I don't know I, I don't know I think West Coast might give them a run for their money I'd expect Port Adelaide to win this pretty easily in the end I don't think West Coast are very good at professional football, just quietly. Well, this this is the thing I was saying about these 10-goal wins on the weekend. I think we're going to see a lot more of them than we'd like from a competitive uh, football league for the year, just if the last couple of weeks is anything to go by. Yeah. It's it's not good. It's not a good look for the league. Um, We thought that this would improve as GWS and Gold Coast got better, but it doesn't seem to be. So, 
I don't know what the league can do about that, but that might be something I might try and pull some stats on and present back to you lads next week. Mm. Uh, we might have a talk about the state of the game, perhaps. So that's the round. Uh, some milestones coming up this week. Uh, Paul Chapman will play his 300th game if he uh, qualifies for selection. Uh, Daniel Talia will play his 50th consecutive game this weekend. Ross Lyon will coach his 200th game. Tom Lonigan will play his 150th. Ben Reid his 100th. Stephen Coniglio will play his 50th. And Troy Chaplin will play his 50th, apparently. So, mm. those those milestones, thanks to Patrick Keane's Twitter feed. There we go. So, so um, fun stuff. Um, what are you looking forward to the most this weekend, guys? That's a good question. Oh, it's got to be uh, the, the Power Rangers Guernsey. The Power Rangers Guernsey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike, what are you looking forward to, mate? Uh, well, I'm not looking forward to the Power Rangers Guernsey, but I'm looking forward to seeing if we have another uh, Scott meltdown after Richmond beat North Melbourne. Ah, yes. I reckon it's going to happen. Yeah. He's not happy, uh Apparently, his uh, team getting into fights, not really the done thing at North Melbourne. <laughs> as which, Be- which Scott brother? <laughs> um, could, be, could be either of them, really. I'm not convinced that they well, don't just swap sides and coach each other's games for the hell of it. I, well, would. I think the thing, too, he should be distressed about is that, is that when his, um, one of, a couple of his players got hit, there was a little bit of remonstration, and, and then they all melted away. Mm-hmm. And um, and geez, if all, if all it takes is to rough them up in the first quarter, then um, plenty of teams are going to do it. You know who I blame yeah. for that? I blame Jared Waite for that. It's something you learn at Carlton. Uh, you'd fly the flag for a quarter, and then after that, you'd just not fly it again. That's it. It's done. No, no. I, I, I go further back. I blame Barry Hall. I think Scott Thompson's still mentally scarred from that. Oh. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, I guess well, last year Barry Hall was uh, suspended for getting uh, Drew Petrie's genetic material, uh, sorry, getting his genetic material stuck under Drew Petrie's fingernails. So, um, lovely cut under his eye after Drew got his fingers in there. And um, poor Barrett, poor, uh, poor Drew, but anyway. Mm. Uh, congratulations to Adam Saad. He's the round five NAB AFL Rising Star. Uh mm. He's uh, somehow related to Armoured Side, I believe. <laughs> Who's Are you ha- sure? Well, I don't know. Couldn't, mm. couldn't say for sure. Because <laughs> so. I believe Isaac Smith is related to Pete Smith from the, the Late Show. Yes, yeah, they're both From Smith. Sale of the Century. <laughs> and he invented Smith's crisps as well. <laughs> I take your point, Messenger, all right? No and- are you sure? Cause, you know, yeah. We, we yeah. can always just have you phone in your reports on your games again. That's... <laughs> oh, I might do that next week. Thank you very All much right. for coming out tonight, guys. Uh, thanks, Mike. Thank you, gentlemen. Always thank, a pleasure. Thank you, Messenger. Uh, good, good night, one and all. And that's good night from me. I've been the Wookiee. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you all on the forums.